You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Sue Warnke. She is the Senior Director of Content Experience at Salesforce, part of the team that founded Faithforce and the founder of the Leanership blog at leanership.org. That's not leader, but leanership with an N. Sue, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. So most everyone is or should at least be familiar with Salesforce, but maybe take a moment just to share your role and your position with the company and um, what kind of responsibilities fall under your role as the senior director of content experience there. Yeah, yeah. So Salesforce, huge software company. We have about 70,000 employees and I lead uh, part of the documentation team. So we create online help videos developer docs, anything that will help people use the software. Oh, cool. And so what does uh, the day-to-day look like for Sue Warnke? Well, of course, everything's a little different now with uh, every, everybody's pretty much working from home. So yeah. it's almost kind of looking at what meetings can I cancel because <laughs> it's so overwhelming having you know nothing but Zoom meetings back to back for everybody. So it is you know trying to be as efficient as possible with, with as few meetings as possible to kind of move projects along, but that still consists of about, you know, eight to 10 meetings a day. Oh my goodness. How do you get anything done? <laughs> well, luckily, I'm, I mean, I'm a manager, so I get things done in the meetings, you know, gotcha, checking in gotcha. on folks and, um, you know, unblocking things and <laughs> uh, providing resources, but it's it, the hard, what the, the real winners are the writers who have to somehow carve out work time. Yeah. With all of those meetings. Oh, goodness. Yep. Meetings, meetings. I know. Yeah, those last year and a half has been kind of an uptick in meetings for everybody, huh? Yeah. Um, and can you share a little bit about Faithforce and how, how you guys got that started? Yeah. So at Salesforce, just like most large companies, they have these things called employee resource groups for, you know, uh, different e- equality areas, whether that's a kind of a women's network or a black employee network. So this is a network for people of faith or people exploring the topic of faith. Hmm. And it is our 10th employee resource group out of 12. And it actually is the fastest growing. So one of the most popular And what this is, is a place to just recognize that faith is an important uh, lever of identity for a lot of employees. And what we do is we get together and we celebrate and we educate and we do a lot of volunteer events together. Hmm. Now, as as the world kind of changed over the last year and a half, how has faith force changed as it seems maybe pre all of this craziness, you were able to meet in person a lot more than you are now. And and so how does that shift affected you guys? Yeah, it's it's probably very similar to church in that way. We used to be really centered around huge events. We would have, you know, this is an interfaith organization. And so we'd have big events for all the holidays, whether it's Easter or Eid. 
and, you know, gather sometimes thousands of people together. Uh, so that immediately had to change. And so we do a lot of panel, informational events, educational events, and when we can, philanthropy online, you know, whether that's teaching or um, helping people implement Salesforce for their ministries, we, we do that. That's cool. Uh, what were some of the challenges and, and maybe some of the struggles that you guys ran into as you got this thing off the ground and kind of founded it? Oh, so many, <laughs> so <laughs> many challenges you can imagine, right? So we're in based in uh, headquartered in San Francisco, which is a very secular yeah. area, um, and you know, somewhat resistant to the even the notion or topic of faith. So I would say, in a nutshell, there was a lot of fear around, you know, what does faith force mean? Are you opening the doors to evangelism in the workplace? Are you prioritizing Christianity over other faiths? There were multiple levels of fear. You know, are you, how will this conflict with other equality groups that we have, other mm-hmm. employee resource groups? So we sort of systematically had to uh, address each of those different concerns with policy, with really writing up, this is who we are and this is who we are not. We are not a proselytizing organization. We are not a political organization. Um, you know, we are inclusive and, you know, we're focused on events, education and philanthropy versus all the other things people might be afraid that we're focused on. And so as as it's grown and the company like leadership at Salesforce has seen the impact of it, are is there still that same pushback and concern or um, have as you guys have done this really well? Has there has that kind of those concerns kind of subsided a little bit? I think they've definitely subsided. There's still, you know, a new hire might come on and, and be quite shocked that this exists um, and have some resistance. But as a whole, the organization is very much on board. We're incredibly fortunate that when this kicked off, the executives were all on board. They understood the mission and the vision that we had for it. And they actually helped kind of drive it from the top once once it got going and they messaged it correctly. So they would say our very top chief leaders would say, you know, when we say, you know, bring your full authentic self to work, does that include faith? What if faith is your number one identifier? And the answer unequivocally, they would say, has to be yes. And so hearing that from our top leaders just changed everything. Right. And most Companies, unfortunately, don't have the luxury of that. So we were really, really fortunate. Um, And then people see the fruit of it all. They see that it leads to, you know, enormous donations and, you know, volunteerism. It leads to building bridges across divides. It leads to really nothing but positive things and and Mm. employee retention, uh, recruiting, all these business impacts as well. So, um, it, luckily, it has taken root and become a very accepted equality group. That's really cool. And it seems like maybe fairly unique within the context of tech companies in the Bay Area or or have other companies seen this and go, hey, if that's working there, maybe it could work at our organization or company. Yeah, I think it's not shocking anymore. So over the past 15 years, there really has been a movement where this sort of started as kind of underground, you know, prayer meetings in different companies and hiding, it's now, uh, you know, a pretty accepted form of equality because there have been so many positive examples of it. In fact, mm. um, 
the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, I think, is the preeminent organization that's studying the, this rise in faith at work. And they have shown that um, I think it's 20 percent of Fortune 100 companies have an official faith group. If oh, you wow. go to their website, they mention it and they advocate for it. They have videos about it. So it is definitely a movement and it's not stopping. It's only growing. So most companies have some mention of faith. If it's not public, then it's at least, you know, private. Yeah. Interesting. As as it continues to grow, as Faith Force continues to grow, what it, what excites you the most um, as you watch God work through this idea or initiative or program? I think what excites me the most is that it's becoming almost boring. <laughs> I'll put it that way in the sense that it's it's so a part of everybody's day now. There's nothing scary or shocking about the existence of Faith Force. It's as much a part of Salesforce's DNA as, you know, talking about gender equality or talking about sustainability. It is it is, you know, elevated to that level that it's just another type of identity, another type of um, you know, area to discuss equity and diversity and inclusion. And I'm so happy about that, that it's not elevated be you know, as something we can't talk about. That's really cool. Uh, it's nice to see that shift, huh? Yeah. It was a really fast shift. It went from, you know, fear to acceptance, to advocacy, to normalcy. And that's exactly what we hoped for. Mm, that's good. Now, shifting a little bit, our audience is primarily ministry leaders, ministry marketing directors, ministry creatives. Oftentimes, um, those that work within ministry find themselves in kind of like a bubble where they aren't um, around a lot of people that don't know Christ, and and therefore the opportunities to share their faith aren't as prevalent as Mm -hmm. maybe individuals in the workplace, right? And so reading some of your content on your leadership blog, one of the things that stood out was your steps of of having faith conversations at work. And so what are those seven steps for having respectful faith conversations and how can we apply these steps to all the areas of our lives, not just the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that we can apply these beyond church, beyond ministry, but even more so, I think that it's, it's a great opportunity for ministry leaders to teach the folks that they're ministering to how to do this in mm. the, you know, in the world beyond church, because their people, the people that they are supporting are in that world and they are encountering all sorts of things that are beyond that bubble. And so, yes, ministry leaders can follow these steps and I'll outline them, but even more so, I think, you know, pivoting to their role being equipping and enabling folks mm-hmm. to kind of follow these steps as opposed to, you know, just teaching information about um, about Christianity is is a way to go. In a nutshell, the steps are, I, I use the acronym OWL, O-W-L. So it's almost you know, simpler than the seven steps. The first one is, um, you know, to out yourself as a person of faith. Now, if, if you're, you know, a, a pastor or something like that, you're probably quite out there already, but a lot of people <laughs> are not and still hide it beyond the church world. And I think you can't really do much of any kind of ministry if you don't stand in your own faith, if you don't kind of own it and, and work it into the conversation in the, in a way that's casual so that other people will know, um, you know, do that for a couple of reasons. One, because you're not ashamed. And two, because it will prevent an awkward situation later if they start, you know, criticizing 
Christians or people of faith. So that's kind of the first step. And then it's really just in, mo- mostly about them listening. You know, the, the W stands for widen the conversation. So once you can get yourself into any kind of faith conversation, you know, I think of I'll be in a meeting with someone wearing a yarmulke. I could and say the meeting ends early. I could end it and say, oh, nice. You know, I have, have 10 minutes back or I could say, can I ask you a question? Can you tell me more about your yarmulke? What's your faith background? How did you grow up? That's the kind of the magical two questions there. What's your faith background? How did you grow up? It's not threatening. I'm not asking, what do you believe? You know, I'm asking about the past. Everybody has some kind of faith background, even if it's negative or even if it's atheism, you know, no matter what it is, you've got one. And most people are extremely eager to tell you whether it's positive or negative. And if they do, then you listen. You don't listen to manipulate. You don't listen to, uh, you know, wait for the opportunity to push your own story, your own narrative, but you really listen and you water that conversation. You widen or water the conversation. Um, You know, they're giving you a little seedling and they don't have to, you know, when they, when they share about themselves and they're expecting you to tromp on it or turn it around and really just listen, listen and care and be fascinated in them. And, you know, sometimes that will lead to them saying, well, what about your faith? You know, how did, how did you grow up? If it doesn't, that's fine. But at least you've represented Jesus well. You've represented the love of Jesus well without pushing or manipulating. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that will get people to come back and ask potentially more about, about you, about your background. And then the L stands for leave it open. Leave that door open, you know, by saying something like, well, I love talking about faith. If you ever want to do that, um, please reach out to me. And making that just a very explicit invitation. And those are the steps that work for me in the world beyond the bubble. That's cool. Yeah. I So growing up in the church for myself, like that's one of the things that I like this whole idea is something that I've always struggled with. And mm-hmm. the idea of the church coming alongside me and training and equipping me in these things, it, like being raised in the church and not having that training and equipping has been really interesting that that mm-hmm. wasn't there. And so um, it should have been right. Like that should yeah. have been there. And so that I think maybe kind of leads to my next question. And I, I'm assuming what your answer to this question would be, but one of the topics you shared offline was um, intriguing. This the 10 ways to wake up church. Um, and in parentheses, you said, business is key. What does the church need to be awakened from? And does it have anything to do with what we just talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to kind of share more background about myself, I have been an agnostic my entire life. I only converted to Christianity about four years ago. The reason uh, I was an agnostic is I grew up in a really fundamentalist environment in Utah. Uh, my town was 95% LDS and we were not LDS. We were my Parents had been Christian, but they walked away due due to a bad experience in the church. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty much agnostic in this incredibly LDS town. And two things came of that. One is that um, I was the target of really intense evangelism my entire life. They wanted to convert my whole family. Um, And I just felt like an outsider. So I had a really negative view of faith my whole life. You know, I was really quite an advocate against faith most of my life. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, had some life experiences, kind of ran out of my own accomplishments and had this really beautiful uh, conversion four years ago. And this became the most important thing in my life and still is. So what's 
you know, interesting about that is I didn't grow up in the church. <laughs> I didn't grow up. And then suddenly I go to church and I'm very confused by church <laughs> and I still am confused by church. You know, one, you know, growing up in a business environment where you are there to produce something, you are there to, uh, you know, let, let's use an analogy of medication. Let's say, I mean, we've got a pandemic going on right now. Imagine that you are, your company is producing you know, the vaccine, you have to do something, you're there to, to deliver something. It's not about it's not school. It's not, you know, we're not here to talk about medication, or to talk about pandemics. We're not here to get a degree. We're here to deliver something and produce something. And when I went to church, I was expecting that I was hoping that I would go there, as you said, to be equipped, to be taught something to be, um, you know, held accountable to what I was supposed to be doing, which is clearly the Great Commission. And that didn't happen and still hasn't happened. So my my wish for waking up church would be to um, you know get clear on what is the purpose of church. Is it to equip? And if it is, what are the best ways to do that? Well, it turns out that lecture, which is you know what most sermons are being sort of talked at, is the um, least effective tool of of equipping people that there are. You know, out of ten plus major ways of teaching. It, people simply forget when they're not interacting with mm. the, the training. And so I would say two things is, you know, getting really clear, what is the mission of, of talking to people on a Sunday and two, uh, getting more creative with interactivity to make sure that that message and accountability stick. Yeah. I mean, th- this idea kind of flips, church upside down a little bit like the predominant church model at least in the west is everything culminates on a sunday service right everything works Mm -hmm. up to and is focused on that hour hour and a half however long it is for your church and so what you're arguing is sunday service becomes a place that we regroup to be sent back out into the world rather than something that we're leading up to and waiting for as the thing that's going to be the focus of that week. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know that's so hard and I understand the complexities of it all, but at minimum it is uh, tactical versus conceptual. So if I go and I attend and I do, I, I watch all sorts of different sermons every Sunday uh, online. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping and wishing every week for tactical strategies for um, action versus concepts, mm-hmm. you know, concepts of forgiveness, concepts of things that people probably understand. I mean, most people have been in the church world for a very long time and, and understand these concepts. So it's confusing to me to go and learn about ideas versus um, tracking action. Mm. Well, and and not to, like, I always want to make sure that I'm careful that I'm not um, bashing the church, right? Because the, she is, the bride, like we're, we're to lift her up and, and make her look beautiful. And so how do we tr- make some of these adjustments to be more like what I think Christ would want us to look like and yet um, not make sure that like, that's not the, the attempt in any of this is to push yeah. down the church or, or, or criticize the church, but to recognize that, Hey, we could do, we could be doing things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems like this is a huge undertaking, right? Making this 
kind of shift in how things function historically? How have you found, have you found any churches that are testing and implementing some of the ideas that you're talking about? Well, I think the pandemic was a forcing function for that. You know, people couldn't just come and meet. They had to get creative with, you know, these tools of business where I say business is the key. A lot of the the tools people are using now where you can chat, you can ask a question. Um, There's, you know, small groups about different topics. There's, uh, you know, folks meeting after the sermon in a chat room to talk about it and to try to get those action items and and implement those. So I think what's kind of neat is I hope my blog isn't even necessary anymore in some ways because the pandemic has forced some kind of digital innovation. Mm -hmm. And I hope that sticks. And I hope churches continue to experiment because it is, there's so many other ways to get kind of those lessons from church to stick. Yeah. I was shifting again a little bit. Another topic that you shared uh, that I want to spend some time exploring is this idea of content marketing for Jesus, right? You can't, we can't look out into the world and ignore the value in engaging people where their attention is right now. So, so um, can you just quickly share why you think digital is so important when it comes to the gospel? I mean, it is a multifaceted tool, right? So we've got social, we've got video, we've got all these different tools and I'm sure God, you know, uh, was behind all of that. So let's use those tools to our benefit. And I think churches are um, really using those tools. I think what's missing, what's really hard is, is kind of what you referred, alluded to when you said you didn't learn those steps in, in church growing up. You didn't learn how to do the things, how to have those conversations, maybe even how to tell someone your story you know, how to tell somebody about what Jesus means to you. If you ever get to that wonderful place where they ask, Mm -hmm. what do you say? And there's some really simple, you know, techniques that we can implement to, uh, you know, tell our stories effectively when we have those opportunities. And that might be online or it could be in a conversation. But in either case, uh, I think of it as content marketing in a sense that uh, if you tell a good story and you are authentic and vulnerable, that's what will draw people in far more than, you know, pushing information out to them. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're uh, pushing my, my passion points there with storytelling. I spent some time reading through a couple of your blog posts on your leadership blog, leadership uh, in preparation for this. And um, in your content for marketing or content marketing for Jesus posts, you spent a lot of time talking about storytelling, right? Even give like an outline for how someone can tell their story well in a digital context. And so I was excited when I saw that because that's like, that's our passion. That's what we exist to do as an agency and a ministry. Um, Why do you think storytelling is so important? I think you just, you pull it out of the conceptual. So for example, when I tell people about faith force, Christians about faith force, they're often quite concerned because they think kind of the worst case scenario that we're elevating other gods that, you know, if we interact with people of other faith, does that mean we are praying to their gods or honoring their gods? And of course, that's not what we're doing. Um, And I try to explain how interacting with people of other faith is such an opportunity for conversation. And it's one thing for me to say that and another thing for me to tell a story about it. Like 
when I first got my very first budget for Faith Force, you know, brand new organization, and they they gave us some budget and they said you can put on some events. And very quickly, a Muslim man set up a meeting with me, and um, we met in a conference room. And he was very quiet, and he was kind of looking down, and he said, um, "Do you think that I could have a little bit of your budget?" And he said, "I've been wanting to put on an Eid celebration." for years and I've never been able to. And I just, you know, if I could have any of your budget, I would, I would so appreciate it. And I looked at him and just felt this overwhelming love, you know, straight from God, like this funnel of love for him. And I just said, you can have it all. And (laughs) he, he looked up shocked, you know, and he said, and he saw the cross on my neck, you know, and I had introduced myself and we knew each other's story. And and he said, but why? I'm Muslim. You're a Christian, you know? And I said, that's why. I love you. <laughs> I love you. And I would love to do this for you. And we put on an epic event. It was so wonderful. Thousands of people came um, from all wow. around the company. Uh, Muslims were crying. They had never been honored in this way in their entire careers, you know? And they were so grateful. And they said, why? So, you know, it's so many conversations. Um Uh, And I just said, because I love you. And it opened up tremendous relationships and opportunity for further discussion in a way that, um, you know, handing them a booklet of of Jesus or, uh, you know, teaching them a Bible verse never would have done and and led to, you know, uh, then afterwards I held Easter events, you know, and they came and we had, uh, we joined all sorts of volunteering in the, in San Francisco to help the homeless. And they came for that. And these were, uh, you know, Christian ministries and they got exposed to all sorts of things they had never seen before. And my hope is that that is the true image of Jesus mm-hmm. that they get to see, not just hear about what Jesus looks like and they get to experience it. Well, and they probably would have never come to the Easter event or those service opportunities had they not been honored in that way. Right. That's cool. Uh, You've written about storytelling and provided some guidance and sharing on storytelling digitally. And we've got courses on our sites around this idea in an attempt to help the ministry space just tell better stories more often. Right. And so, um, how can you t- how do you think we can take this idea further? How can we begin helping the body of Christ be a storytelling people because it's so important and we've written and done content at length on why it's so important but what would yeah. be some of your ideas on on how we can be a a storytelling people because I think we serve and are disciples of a storyteller. Yeah, oh I love that. And I love the tools on your site and I'm so grateful for them. I think that's the direction we need to go is equipping people, you know, first some education, like what does a story look like? Well, you know, it simply Mm -hmm. looks like sort of conflict resolution or sort of a hero's journey, a discovery, you know. So when you're walking down the street and you have a, a situation, you know, maybe a conversation you didn't expect, when you have those aha moments in your life, like, wow, you know, that was God, Uh, take note, go home, write it down. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, look to these kinds of tools for how you could share your story. Maybe it's a quick video testimony. Maybe it's a a Facebook post, you know, maybe it's different ways to sort of capture that nugget of a story, not, you know, five pages, but just a nugget. Yeah. And um, practice 
doing that. I, I know if it's from God, you know, pray on it. If it's from God, it will be honored and it will be blessed. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that, um, so I've been a follower of Christ for 16 years, right? There's a, there's a transformation story in my life around 18 that took place. And that, that initial transformation story tends to be the, what the church focuses on. And those are amazing stories. And those are stories that we need to be telling. Those are the things that we need to be testifying of. But I've been following Christ for 16 years. And in the time that I've been following him, there's been this sanctification process, this process of him making me more like him, right? Mm -hmm. And so as he's doing that, he's uprooting sin, he's revealing things in my life, he's he's pulling me out of stuff that, I like stuff I didn't even know existed in my heart, right? And so with every single step he take, he I take in him making me more like him there's a story of transformation in that. And so I've got, we all have thousands of stories of transformation and and redemption and healing as we follow and walk with Christ. And so the church being equipped and trained to recognize those things in our own lives and in the lives of others, uh, being able to recognize how like God is in pursuit of people in amazing ways. I just heard a story in North Africa of a, of a guy I've told this story before, but, um, a Muslim man had a dream. In the dream, Christ is on the cross, and um, Christ and and the sign on the cross. Instead of reading King of the Jews, it had a phone number. And in the dream, the Muslim man looks up at Christ, and Christ picks up his head um, and looks at the man, and he says, "I want you to call this number." And the dream ends, and um, the guy wakes up. And he, by some miracle, remembers the phone number. And so he calls it. And on the other end of the line was this Christian missionary in North Africa. And the guy, the Muslim man, shares his story with this man on the end of the line, uh, shares his dream. And the Christian man immediately goes into sharing the gospel with him. This is why you had that dream. Christ is in pursuit of your heart, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole time, this Muslim man is saying, God forbid it, God forbid it, God forbid it. They hang up the phone. This man does not say yes to Jesus. There's not a there's not a completion of this story yet. But in that story, I can see that God is in pursuit of this man's heart in a really, really powerful way. As mm-hmm. a person that's part of the church, I'm edified by that. This brings God glory, knowing that I serve a God that's still in pursuit of the hearts and minds of people all over the world is incredible. And being able to recognize those type of things in myself and others is incredibly important to be able to just be always in praise and worship of my creator, but also like the outreach opportunities and the opportunities to share those things that are happening in others' lives in my own life is really like you've talked about, like opens doors that otherwise wouldn't be opened if we're just, you know, uh, doing other practices within our faith. So it's incredibly important. And, um, so yeah, uh, all the stuff that I've seen on your site, it's like, oh man, the Sue lady, she gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, you all as well. It's good to see this. Well, thanks. So this has been amazing, Sue. I really appreciate you being on the show. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Awesome. Father, I just lift up Sue and, um, pray for her as she, uh, and 
is a shining light in her in her workplace at Salesforce. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless her and her endeavors with Faith Force and um, her blog with leadership. Um, I just ask that you would go before her and give guidance and direction and clarity on what's next for her, that she would just continue to be um, bold and intentional within her workplace for your glory, Lord. We love you so much and thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that you've invited us into this redemptive story. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're doing, how can they do so? Yeah, uh, learn more at the leadership.org website and then uh, reach out via LinkedIn. Awesome. I'll make sure to put those links on our show notes. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day, Sue. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.